Welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review. Our several-year mission will be to boldly go where no podcast has gone before. We will be reviewing every Star Trek comic book ever published. These stories have been released by Gold Key, Marvel, DC, Malibu, Wildstorm, Tokyo Press, IDW, and others. Star Trek and all that the Star Trek universe contains is copyrighted by CBS Studios, Inc. Hello and welcome to Star Trek Comic Book Review with Donovan and Ken. Episode number 169, recorded June 7th, 2014. Yes, today is our 95th 90s episode, and we're covering Marvel's Deep Space Nine, issues 7 through 9. Yes, 7 through 9. Okay stories. I wouldn't say they're stellar, but, uh, you know, Deep Space Nine. It's a good franchise. Yes, I really like Deep Space Nine. These, I don't think, quite hit the the mark that right. most of the episodes were, but uh, we've also read worse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a weak compliment. <laughs> <sighs> now, just some of the, we'll, and we'll get into it, but some of them just make some leaps in logic that I was having a little trouble with. Right. And some are also, the storyline, the plot line is so cookie cutter. It's like, uh, you pretty much knew everything that was going to happen. But. Right. And speaking of cookie cutter, and maybe absolutely no bearing in this context, but have you seen the movie Admission? No. With Tina Fey? Oh, That is the most cookie cutter movie ever made. I I never saw it. I know what it is. Yeah. Right. Don't because you've seen it already. A In wacky romantic comedy. The 80s, you've seen it. Yeah, those were the movies that were so popular, and everyone had to have Meg Ryan. I mean, there'd be different guys, but it was always Meg Ryan, and right. uh, it was so popular back then. It's amazing. Well, Thank God it went away. Right. Thank God it went away. All right. So uh, this, like I said, we have three issues today. Um, do you want to go ahead and get get started, or do we have any other more? No. Let's let's let's. Dive into the issues. All right. So the first one is issue number seven. Came out May of 1997, entitled Risk the Conclusion. Not Risk the Board Game, which really got me confused there for a minute, but just Risk the Conclusion. Uh, The writer is Howard Weinstein. Penciler is Tom Grinberg. Inker is Al Milgram. Chris Elopoulos and Virtual Calligraphy are the letterers. Matt Webb and Chip Carter, Colors. Navigator is Tim Tuohy, and Bob Harris is Pilot Captain. Hope those were right. So the cover shows a close-up of O'Brien's face. He's looking very concerned, or maybe possibly constipated. I don't know, he just has a weird look on his face. To the left of him, we see a space coffin flying through space. Maybe Spock's in it, I don't know. Well... Well, we knew, we do know because we read the last issue, but it looks like a, a makeshift coffin. And then the caption reads, To save Captain Sisko's life, Chief O'Brien must risk his own. So the story starts with O'Brien continuing his mission from the last issue, and this was to navigate the space-time distortion in his little makeshift space coffin. And he's trying to prove that the Shirin pilot, test pilot, is alive inside of the anomaly and not killed by Cisco as the Shermen are claiming. There's some close calls. We don't know if he's going to make it uh, while he's navigating the vortex. And then O'Brien picks up something on his scans, and then suddenly he starts to kind of morph using the same special effect that we saw in the wormhole scene of Star Trek The Motion Picture. So it looks fantastic. Meanwhile, back on the Defiant... Kira and Dex are worried about O'Brien's mission. Worf then arrives and informs the women that Sisko is also worried that O'Brien is risking his life for his own. Just to clear his name and free him from this imprisonment. Suddenly, O'Brien's space coffin returns back to normal space. Once he's aboard the Defiant, he tells them that he did not find the test pilot or her ship, but he did learn that the conduit that the Shireen were testing was not destroyed, it just shifted a little bit. Later, the Starfleet crew inform Dr. Koth of their findings. Koth refuses to hear it, and he storms out of the room. Dr. Mayev, 
as you remember, Koth's predecessor as leader of the group, believes them, and he offers any help that the, the Starfleet crew might need in order to attempt a rescue mission for the missing pilot. After some intense data mining in the Shirin computers, they discover that Koth has been hiding all kinds of reports that outline the danger of all these experiments. Koth has disregarded the safety concerns so that he can claim all the scientific discoveries that were made while he was leader. And he's using the Defiance arrival as an excuse for one of his failures. Later, Maiev, Dax, and Kira attempt to confront Koth on these findings. He becomes irate and physically attacks Maiev, saying that demotion was too good for him. He tells them that they cannot reopen the conduit to try to save the pilot because there is no other ship designed for such an experiment. Later, O'Brien has taken it upon himself to upgrade the Defiant to the specifications of the missing experimental craft. Kira is nervous, but she allows it. During this time, Dax and Maiev seem to be flirting a little. Perhaps there's a little more between the two than we see on the page. Adjustments completed, the Defiant is taken into the recreated conduit. It slides into it, but it's a bumpy and scary ride. Everyone wishes for seatbelts as they are bounced around and slammed into walls. As O'Brien and Maiev are working in engineering, Maiev injects something into O'Brien when his back is turned to him. He then gets to work on his own secret agenda. When the bridge cannot reach O'Brien, Dax leaves to investigate. She confronts Maiev, and he tells her that he needs them to die so that it'll stop the Shirin's mindless devotion to scientific discovery. A physical fight ensues, and is ended when Worf arrives and blasts Maiev with a phaser. I hope that thing was set to stun. Dax is able to correct the tampering made by Maiev. Soon, they find a life sign in the maelstrom. They quickly beam the test pilot aboard, and they head out to prove Sisko's innocence. Later, Sisko is allowed to leave, and Koth has Maiev in custody. Dax speaks up and says that she does not agree with Maiev's methods, but he does have a point about the Shirin taking responsibility for their discoveries and also the risks that they pose to the universe. Sisko states that he hopes that the next time their people meet, he hopes that it is as friends. The end. Ah, as friends. How sweet. Yeah, at first I didn't think that's how he was going to end it, because he seemed very confrontational with Koth. Like, I don't think you understand that, you know, we were just here, and, and, you know, yes, we helped you, but you didn't deserve it. And then oh, the, yeah. next, the next line is, I hope we meet next time as friends. Yeah. It's like, really, you just kind of... Well, Cisco isn't the only one that kind of flips unexpectedly. Um, Dr. Koth himself, he's a big weenie. Up until now, he is a big weenie. And then all of a sudden, he's confronted with how he's covered up all this stuff. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, of course I'll help you! You know, after the fight. Right. So it's like, oh, did you feel that bad about hitting Maiev? Is, is, is that what made you totally change from a big weenie into a nice guy? I don't know. I, it, I find that hard to believe. Right. And then Maiev trying to kill them and himself just yeah. to get the Shirin people to quit doing their crazy experiments, that also seemed a little weird. It seemed weird, but he had an agenda the whole time, I think. He didn't just flip. Right. But yeah, that that well, was kind of weird. That he was especially... What was with the flirting then? Well, I, I could only assume that he was always trying to leverage that... Rela- I think there probably was a relationship. He did kind of dig her chili, but... Maybe he was also trying to uh, leverage that to try to get more out of her if he found the opportunity. I don't know. Right. Right. It just made it all all that more difficult at the end when he was going to take her life, too. Yeah, and then I did like when she starts speaking up, and then he at first thinks that she's defending him, and then she's like, no, I'm not defending you, but I, I do think that you're on the right track because you guys are crazy. 
Yeah, and something had to be done. It's just that that wasn't it. Right. What he was trying to do. So I didn't go into them on the uh, synopsis, but they do kind of go over some of the big experiments they're doing, these big scientific discoveries. Uh, Some sound pretty cool. Yeah, some kind of sound familiar. Creating, well, what do you mean? Well, creating planets out of Uh, raw material? Wasn't one of them basically transport beaming? Oh, yes, yes, that's true. Transwarp, yes, that one was. So what was it? Transwarp beaming, sending out a huge number, well, not a huge, what, a do- dozens of massive colony ships, which completely reminded me of what Krypton was trying to do in the prequel to Man of Steel. Right, right. The comic. And then building stars. Yeah, that's always, yeah, let's build them stars. Sounds good. Right, and, and, they're, and they're creating stars out of gas giants. So these... Right. These gas giants are already orbiting a star, and now right. you're going to create another star within the same solar system of a star? Yep. So you're, you're basically creating a binary solar system, but yes. then what's going to happen to all the other planets? They're just going to get sucked into one or the other. Well, for you know, goodbye uh, nighttime <laughs> <laughs> at certain times. Well, I don't know. Well, isn't that what happened in, was it 2010 or 2013? I forgot what it You know, sequel to 2001 A Space Odyssey. Right, the novels? Or are you talking about the movie? Well, both. Because it was the novel first, then it was a movie. Okay. So Jupiter only... Jupiter was ignited, was made into a star at the oh, end of the, the last one, which I thought was 2013, but maybe not. There's only two movies, right? Or if, if there were only two, it was at the end of the second one. I know that there's several books, but I thought there was only two movies. Okay. But I might be well, wrong. Well, at, I, the, at, the, end, at the end of the last one... Jupiter ignites, and basically Europa is being manipulated into being another cradle of, of life. But wouldn't it be too close to uh, the new sun? I would kind of think that, but, well, it's a lot smaller in size than the regular sun. Well, the whole thing sounds kind of ridiculous, but also kind of cool. Anyway, so right. that whole uh, idea sounds like kind of a retread, but so that's, that's fine. Where, that's where they got the idea for that, and the... Uh, uh, instead of terraforming a planet, they just create a new planet out of space debris. Right. I actually kind of like that idea, but yeah. I don't really know how you're going to get the atmosphere and things like that. So, well, uh, good job on building a planetoid, but I don't see how you're going to artificially well, ter- terraforming. Of course, yeah, terraforming you still have to have raw material there. You have to already well, have some other kind of gases in order to, you know, convert it into more extreme terraforming proposes even generating generating atmosphere. Although I think that would be a lot harder than just trying to work with maybe a desert environment like Mars, but whatever. Right. So out of all of them, uh, I, I liked that, you know, there was the whole, what we call transport beaming. They don't call it there, but they, no. just, they say it's a transportation device for sure. interstellar distances. And I'm like, yeah. JJ did that. Well, yeah, but of course he did it way after this comic came out. Yeah, right. Yeah. No, I just thought it was kind of cool. Yeah. And if we really wanted to be nitpicking, then technically uh, Scotty at least had the idea at some point. So sure. maybe, uh Maybe he got the idea from this place. You know. In, in old Spock's past, at some point Scotty got the idea for Transmor Beaming. Maybe this was it. And then old Spock brought those calculations to young Spock in the uh, the reboot. Just saying. If we want to try to fit it all together. <laughs> and you do like to do that. Because, <laughs> you know, Scotty is around in this time, kicking it somewhere. Kicking it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I think one of the parts I liked most about the issue is Jedzia and Worf's little argument about whether Klingon's gab or not. That was pretty funny. And then... Basically, Kors gabbing ended the argument. Win for Jezia. I thought that was kind of cute. Klingons don't gab. Kor does. I suppose he does. <laughs> right. And of course, if that's my favorite part of the issue, there's a problem. Anyway. But that was kind of cute. I kind of like that. Yeah, no, that was good. That was good. Also, that what looked to be a photon torpedo casing from the Taz era, Taz movie era. Right. That O'Brien was flying around in. I was surprised that it was bigger than I expected. Oh, it's quite roomy. Yeah, well, more roomy than I expected. Because I thought this thing was about the size, you know, of a torpedo casing from 
you know, like 80 years ago in their time frame. But O'Brien is sitting in it like he's driving a car or something. So it's like almost car size, really. Right. Uh, yep. well, a small two-seater car. You know, I mean, uh, there's no back seat, but... Right. Uh, yeah, so yeah. it was it was bigger than I expected it, and more reasonable. I mean, I was expecting this thing to be like he would be having to be like laid out in it on his belly, you know, steering it like some kind of luge or something. But no, at least he's sitting normally. Right. And why was he in that thing again anyway? Doesn't the um, doesn't the Defiant have a small shuttlecraft in it? Does it? I, I've never seen. A I thought it did. Uh, I wouldn't think that it would be big enough to hold a shuttle, but. Oh, I thought it did, but uh, anyway, okay. So if it doesn't have a shuttle, that makes sense why he'd be messing around with something like that. But so, so was it, it a, was it a repurposed um, probe? Was I that what know. it was? I, I don't remember it saying last issue. Yeah, well. it might have been a repurposed probe because that's because he was trying to launch probes into it. And right. It didn't work. So exactly. he needed to do it manually. So maybe right. maybe it is supposed to be a probe. Yeah. But why sense. it has a chair and stuff in it? Well, yeah. Well, the amazing, uh, I almost said Scotty, the amazing uh, O'Brien is able to do amazing things, including refit the Defiant to be able to match the specs of that very special purpose ship that Koth was using. Right. Or whatever his name is. Right. I do find it funny that Cisco was furious that O'Brien took his own life uh, in, in jeopardy just to save his. Right. But then he eventually lets the whole Defiant go. Oh, yes. With the whole crew. Oh, yes. Worf, Dax, Kira, all the other people that are on the ship that we don't see. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Uh, and, and by the way, by this point, isn't Koth kind of admitting that the whole trial thing is BS? So why didn't why didn't Cisco command the mission? It's right. like... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, well, you guys do that, and um, I'll be here. And uh, having some coffee, and we'll see when you get back. Some uh, some Fractagino or Mochagino. What what do they oh, drink? Uh, Ractagino. Ractagino. Okay. Right. Yeah, I have one of those. <laughs> yeah. Good point. I don't know. Yeah. It, it it did not make sense. So my comment about when O'Brien goes into the the vortex right. or whatever uh-huh. did it look did it remind you of Star Trek the motion picture the wormhole scene? Uh, or was I reaching there? Uh, kind of, or else, yeah, a little bit. I, my comment is I like the drawing of that. I thought right. it was kind of cool. But, uh, yeah, I guess it is. They definitely have something where they're showing, like, a, a, a vertical shot of O'Brien, and there's, like, uh, like, eight shots of his head, like, next to each other, kind of distorting. Pretty cool. Right. But aside from that, the artwork on O'Brien, I thought, was really lacking. Well, there were a lot of places where the faces were not great on many uh, characters, like Kira at times. But yeah, O'Brien wasn't great. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know what it is but with what? O'Brien. And exactly. In every comic book series he's in, they always have a hard time with him, I think. He is the hardest one. And there's some things in here where he looks like he's got, like, three eyes because his like eyebrows are so pronounced or or the the folds of skin in his forehead above his eyebrows are so pronounced it almost looks like he's got three eyes in his head right it's like oh my god that's no oh. yeah so probably at art schools they say okay for your final you need to draw a decent o'brien head <laughs> right yeah well i mean even the cover to me the cover is horrible i mean o'brien looks horrible on that cover yeah well like you say he looks like he's constipated and he's he's just all forehead i mean i know that colmini has a pronounced forehead yeah but i think this looks like a caricature of that yeah right caricature right caricature yeah yeah so um yeah that's about it that's all i have to say about this one that's all i got too yeah Okay, so let's go on to the next issue, which starts up a whole new story. And uh, let's hope it's rich and full of energy and fun and action. So this one is titled Public Enemies, Private Lives. It is issue number eight, 
and it has a publish date of August 1997. Writer is Mariano, only one name required. Penciler, Tom Grindberg. Inker, Bob Almond. Colors, Matt Webb. Letterer, Chris Elipolis. Editor, Tim Tui. Bonsai Friend, Bob Harass. Botanist, Chip Carter. Special thanks to Fabian Nasiza. Hope I did that right. The cover features the heads of Keiko O'Brien, Jake O'Brien, and Kira. Text in the lower right quadrant tells us there will be an away team in peril. Sure enough, a scene from the issue which shows Kira, O'Brien, and Jake unconscious with armed men approaching them shows uh, on the left-hand side. In ops, Captain Benjamin Sisko is saying goodbye to his son Jake, Major Kira, Miles, and Keiko O'Brien, who are off on an away mission to Maurer 4. Sisko tells his son, the aspiring writer, that the jungle planet would make a terrific setting for a novel. In an hour, at warp 3, they arrive at the distant jungle world. However, the away team is not the only people to be visiting that jungle world. A Maquis team is meeting a set of unaligned humans on the uninhabited world. They think away from prying eyes. The discussion centers around a technology that can be obtained for a price. The away team beams down to the planet. Major Kira and Chief O'Brien are the only ones armed with phasers. They have remote voice control of the runabout to bring them back up when they're ready to return. They are not on the planet long when their tricorders pick up EM emissions and life forms. They come upon the Maquis team that are making the deal with the profiteers. They are able to covertly listen for a time and learn they are arranging to meet two cargo ships in space. They are eventually discovered and are brought to face the full group. O'Brien and Kira talk to the Maquis and trading partners uneasily. Then, Jake says Captain Sisko will have all their heads. The unwise outburst triggers threats from the Maquis and a short skirmish between O'Brien and one of the Maquis. Kira is able to order the runabout, still in orbit, to initiate a distress call before she and the rest are stunned or bludgeoned into unconsciousness. In orbit, a Romulan bird of prey decloaks. Commander Tomalak is on board and says the small Federation ship was the source of the distress call. They destroy it. Tomalak hails someone on the planet's surface named Narak. He is told to keep the Federation people for interrogation, but kill the other witnesses. They do so and kill the Maquis, but Narak screams into the communicator at Tomalak saying this is his op, not Tomalak's. Scene cuts to DS9. In ops, Sisko reacts to the distress call and takes the Defiant with most of the senior staff to deal with the situation. Worf is ready to lay in course for Mara 4, but Sisko countermands that and orders course coordinates that will take them into the heart of Maquis-controlled Badlands. Meanwhile, on Mara 4, Kira's away team is imprisoned in a bamboo cage. Narak wants to know what the Federation team of spies knows about his activities. They tell them nothing except what they disclose themselves through their actions. They are Romulan operatives, surgically altered to look like humans under some kind of covert op. Narak takes Jake into the ship and puts the boy in a chair with his arms tied behind his back. Narak does not believe they are on a simple scientific mission. He orders Jake to tell him how much their spying has uncovered about their plans. Jake says they are just on a mission of exploration and makes a convincing argument. Their discussion uncovers that the Romulans are probably selling weapons to the Maquis to escalate fighting between them and the Federation. The enemy of my enemy routine. Narak says, even if they are on a simple science mission, they know too much now to be let go. Jake says his father will stop at nothing to get him back. Tomalak barges into the room, saying he did not authorize this interrogation. He says Narak's bungling exposed their presence and is on the verge of creating an interstellar incident. Narak says the rendezvous with the Maquis transport vessel is still on track. 
The runabout was destroyed. The plan can and will proceed. Tomalak says it had better, because no son of his could possibly be as stupid as Narak appears to be so far. He tells Narak to get out, and if the operation succeeds, it will be in spite of his involvement, not because of it. They remove Jake, but do not put him back with Miles and Keiko. Narak comes by the cage, visibly shaken enough to be noticed by O'Brien and Kira. He leaves, saying he'll be back for the next spy. Kira and O'Brien continue to plan how they can escape. Kira says she has been watching the guards, and there are holes in their schedules, which they could use to slip past them and get out of here. They acknowledge it's dangerous, but they have to try. Meanwhile, in Maquis-controlled space, the Defiant arrives to meet with the captain of a Maquis ship. An audio-only channel is opened, and the Maquis captain tells Sisko that the operation on Mara 4 is not sanctioned by the Maquis leadership. It was done by a splinter group. Sisko asks how he can trust what the captain is saying. In response, the video feed is turned on, and Cal Hudson tells Sisko he would never allow Jake to be hurt. The old friend of Sisko's goes on to tell Sisko that a rogue Maquis member named Kunkel is leading his group to Mara 4 to obtain some kind of contraband technology. Since Sisko's team went missing on the same planet, it's likely Kunkel's people had something to do with it. Sisko asks Cal to help him spring a trap on the smugglers, who Kunkel is dealing with. To be continued. Nice that he bumped into a friend of his. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, I definitely the drawing is good enough that I recognize the guy. And uh, he's an actor that we've seen a lot of different things. And I'm pretty sure... I don't remember the details of the episode, but I'm pretty sure this guy was brought up in an episode of the series. Uh, yeah, it was the um, Maquis Part 1 and 2. It, it, it gives you a little footnote there. Oh, does it? Didn't notice it. So... So that is quite a coincidence, isn't it? Right. Uh, yeah, and I kept thinking, you know, since he did arrange this meeting, I assumed that he asked for him in person. So oh, yeah. I didn't really see why they were so surprised. Yeah. But uh, Well, Cisco shouldn't have been surprised. And why did he keep the video off? The video yeah, feed right. off. Why Cal did? Yeah. Right. I, I mean, I guess it made the whole thing more dramatic. Right. Uh, unless... But. Benjamin didn't really know who was going to come and, and really was surprised that it was Cal. But when I was reading it, I was like, okay, well, that would make sense that, you know, he would try to reach out with somebody he knew doesn't necessarily trust, but... Did trust at one trust. time. Right, right. And also that might have some skin in the game as far as Jake. Right. So, Which apparently he does. Right, so we'll see how this plays out next issue. Yes. So can I just come up forward and say what my favorite, favorite part of this whole issue is? And it's on <laughs> sure. almost every single page. Oh, okay, I'm intrigued now. What? The new uniforms. Oh. The gray and black uniforms. Mm-hmm. You like those, huh? I do. They finally make their comic book debut. Oh, right boy. Cool. Didn't notice. Didn't I, notice. I, I do like those, uh, those uniforms, though. No, I didn't notice. Okay. All right, so uh, this obviously takes place during season four, mm-hmm. and uh, I guess uh, Keiko—I mean, not Keiko—Worf um, and Dax are a, an item at this point. Um, well, they didn't go overboard and pointed that out, did they? No, but at the when when uh, the O'Briens and Jake are going on their mission, Dax kind of makes a comment about, "Wouldn't it be romantic if we were going along with?" Oh, that. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah, odds are. Uh, I, I'm just guessing because uh, <laughs> I mean I know that it, I know they get together fairly early, but uh, I I'm assuming that this must take place after that. So, anyways, I was just uh, it was just cool to see the new uniforms. Made me happy. Good. Yeah, if there's one thing I think they always did pretty well, except maybe for the pajamas in the motion picture, they always did a good job in uniforms. Uh, right. Some are better than others, but yeah, I agree with you. And I even like the pajamas. I'm not going to be honest with you and tell you I absolutely hate them. But, 
I mean, they're not horrible. Right? I, I never liked them, but... And they don't look very practical. Although they, they do look, look comfy. comfy. <laughs> Jinx. <laughs> yes, <laughs> they look very comfy. I could sleep very well in them. <laughs> I do sleep very well in them. What do you mean? <laughs> You've got some Starfleet Underoo uh, sleeping pajamas? Oh, you are cool. so lucky. <laughs> I know. I know. I thought one of the things that was interesting in a fairly predictable story arc in these issues is the fact that Narak is Tom Locke's son. So yeah, I, thought th- I thought that was interesting. So that coming up, and then they were trying to draw the parallel between Jake and uh, Captain Sisko. You know, I was thinking, okay, well, that's kind of interesting. Let's see what they do with this. Yeah. Were you Of course, we'll see what they do with it. Okay. <laughs> well, we haven't, we're not there yet. Right. Yeah, so, I, did, I did like that, and I liked, you know, the they brought up surgically altered um, Romulans. I mean, mm-hmm. we, we've seen humans surgically altered to look like Romulans, but this is the first time I've seen Romulans look like humans. So I like that. Right. Well, Although indeed. I don't think they do much with it either. No. Uh, I thought it was kind of interesting that the Romulans, in their own old, good old-fashioned, deceitful ways, are trying to do some subterfuge to pit the Maquis against the Federation. Um more than they're already fighting. Um, I thought that was kind of an interesting, very Romulan thing to do. Of course, they don't end up doing it very well, but... No. Well, like everything, they don't do it very well. Otherwise, (laughs) they would win. (laughs) Exactly. We can't have that. Right. No, I I, I like their plan, or at least what little of it we, we learned so far. Right. I would still like to know, you know, what were they trying to smuggle in and mm-hmm. sell, and how was it going to disrupt uh, and pit the Maquis more against the Federation? Right. So hopefully we'll get all those answered next issue. <laughs> all that and more. So I thought the artwork in general was good for the ships. I thought the ships looked good. But definitely, again, people's faces look very inconsistent. There are some times when they looked good, but quite often when they don't. Right. So I wasn't crazy about some of the artwork, but I do love seeing the Defiant, and we see it on and off here quite nicely. Right. That that page when they're leaving Deep Space Nine and kind of like there's a wormhole or some sort of flash in the background, uh, they're not page numbered, so I can't tell you, but uh, right. that shot is just beautiful when, when it just says the Defiant up at the top, and then they're all they're just going right beautiful shot loved it yeah and in contrast when near the I think it might have been the first page where Worf and Jadzia are talking to each other while they're in ops Worf's face looks bad oh yeah it just looks bad yeah it's not even symmetrical no and as far as we can tell I'm sure he's looking down at a monitor or something while he's talking but you don't see his eyes so I don't know and uh, Jetzia looks like she's kind of sleepy. It's like, oh, uh, I'm sleepy, Worf. Because she's thinking of romantic thoughts. <laughs> Which puts her to sleep. <laughs> Worf, you'll have a great marriage coming up. Yeah. Anyway, so. So, and O'Brien, again, oftentimes looked horrible. Yeah. Yep. Still better than I could have drawn. So when, when I say oh, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I want to say that you knew who it was. It just oh, yeah. does not look like Colmini. Enough like Colmini. I completely right. agreed. So the you know the, I my hats are off to any group of people that can crank out comic books like this. But yeah, gotta point it out. Things where sometimes the artwork could be better, or maybe the story. And I thought Tomalock's decision to just blow up the runabout was. Kind of rash. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's going to draw some attention. Right. I mean, he, he could have still played it off that, you know, these are some humans and Maquis, which I thought was funny because a lot of Maquis are humans, yet they made made sure it was a distinction. Oh, look, those Maquis are meeting with humans. Hmm. Oh, humans. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but okay, whatever. But, I mean, up until that point, there was really nothing to link the Romulans and except... 
until they start blowing up ships, and then they'll be able to scan the debris and, oh, this was destroyed by Romulan fire. <laughs> exactly. This is a weapon signature. Yes. So my last comment for this issue is Kira was a kick-butt freedom fighter and stuff. You know, real bad, bu- you know, bad A. Can I say ASS? Probably not. Uh, probably not. So she was a bad A, you know, toughy, toughy, and she ain't doing much so far in this issue. I mean, o- O'Brien is, you know, is the only bad A so far. I mean, he's taken a few swings, which is really not smart. You're outnumbered, like, eight guys to, you know, like, two people that can fight. Right. But whatever. Uh, I don't think Kira's doing much so far. No. And before we go into the next issue, can uh-huh. I just say, the last time we see them, they are in that wooden cage, right? Yes, good point. Okay, okay, just remember that as we get <laughs> into the next issue. Yes, they're in a bamboo cage. A bamboo cage, yes, exactly. Yeah, good point. Uh, my last comment, actually, I have two more comments. One... Okay. It is odd that Keiko and, and uh, Jake get shot. So it shows them getting shot. I mean, yes, they're stunned, but yeah, they get sh- it shows them get shot, which is you know they're they're non-combatants, so it's kind of you know a little more disturbing when you see them getting shot and you yeah. can see it in their face that it hurts. Yeah. So that I thought that was something you don't normally see, and then and was that kind of not necessary? I mean, just grab them. Yeah, and you got to be able just... to physically overcome them pretty easily, but whatever. Right. And they kill all the humans or the Maquis that were there. So why did they keep these guys alive at all? I, I didn't really understand that, except for we don't want to see them dead. What do you mean, we the reader? Well, we the mean? reader don't want to see them dead because we yeah. want to see them in next issue. But okay. but so what, what was logical, What logical sense does it make for him to not kill them? Well, the only logical sense I could see is they don't know yet what might have been told to the rest of the Federation right. about what these spies have discovered. That's like about the only reason I can see. Yeah. Alright, I'll buy it. And then my last comment, and it's just a throwaway comment because it's just a weird scene when Jake and them are leaving. Yeah. There's there's a scene where it shows some other group of people arriving onto the station. And we see a man and a woman, they're Bajoran, having a conversation about a wonderful tailor shop they're going to go to. And oh, right. I wonder why the Cardassian decided to stay behind and run it and things like yeah. that. Yeah. I thought that was going to play into the story, that these two people were going to have something to do later on. Yeah. But they don't. I mean, and spoiler alert, they don't show up next issue at all. So what was up <laughs> with that? Uh, was it supposed to make it just more realistic that this was also going on in the same area of the main storyline? I don't know. Because I completely agree with you. It has nothing to do with the story. Except just to say, hey, this is a vibrant place. All kinds of things are going on. Garrick is on the ship. Or station. On the station, yeah. And then it shows kind of like a really close close close-up of a a woman's face. And she kind of looked like that that model that was in Star Trek V that was the shapeshifter. Do you remember? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, this really, it's not even a full close-up, so you don't get to see her full face, but it just, her cheekbones, I guess, reminded me of that woman. So, that was it. Okay. For me. Cool. All right, shall we move to the next one? Yeah, let's find out how this public enemies, private lives thing plays out. Okay, so the next issue is issue number nine. It came out July of 1997, entitled Public Enemies, Private Lives, Conclusion. Mariana was the writer. Tom Greenberg is the penciler. Bob Almond is the inker. Colors by Matt Webb. Chris Elanopoulos and Virtual Calligraphy is the letterers. Chip Carter loves botany. Tim Tuhi hates botany. And Bob Harris is allergic. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they're doing this with the names. I don't know either, because that one isn't that funny. But go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so for me, the cover was kind of confusing. It's obviously uh, the Defiant is in the foreground 
really close up, and we see right behind it the uh, tip of a Romulan warship. So since the size differences are so much, we see very little of the warbird. And in fact, it's not quite sure how close they are together because there's like a bloom of fire in between the two ships. And for me, it was unsure whether the Defiant was getting rammed by the Romulan craft or whether it was somehow shooting at one another. But we don't know which one would have been on fire. But the uh, caption reads, Attack of the Defiant, which maybe leads to the Defiant shooting at the Romulans. I don't know, but I was a little confused. So the story starts off somewhere in space. Uh, The Defiant is waiting in cloaked silence and watching as a Maquis ship is floating before them. As a small Romulan craft arrives to rendezvous with the Maquis, Sisko orders a scan of the nearby area to know what the two factions are up to. Suddenly, the Romulan shuttle informs everyone that they know that there is a cloaked ship in the vicinity and that they too have brought along some backup. Then, Sub-Commander Tomalak joins the comm chatter and informs Sisko that they are engaging in a rescue mission on the nearby planet of Marrier 4, and that Sisko's presence is not welcomed. Meanwhile, back on the planet, O'Brien has somehow modified his cell door, which is all metal. They're inside of a building of some sort. Uh, He has rigged it up in some miraculous way. He tells Kira and Keiko that he's unsure if it'll work because it is of Romulan design. But the two women ensure him that they need to go ahead and try because Jake is still missing. He finishes his hot wiring with it, and suddenly the door explodes out. Quickly, they depart, and they find Jake bound in a chair in another room. Reunited, the four make their way out of the compound, only to be caught again by the human-looking Narak. The quartet decide they're going to attack the five Romulans, uh, and during the scuffle, Jake is ordered to make a run for it. Narek is about to kill the recaptured Kira, Miles, and Keiko when Tomalak arrives. He stops him and tells his son to recapture the boy. Narek relents and enters the dark forest nearby to find the missing Jake. Back in space, the Romulan left in charge of the cloaked battleship cannot stand that there's a dirty, rotten Klingon aboard the Defiant. He then takes it upon himself while Tomalak is on the planet and occupied, to decloak the ship and destroy the small Federation craft. Soon, space is filled with phaser and disruptor blasts from the Defiant, Maquis ship, Romulan shuttle, and the Romulan warbird. Meanwhile, back in the dark jungle, Narek has finally caught up with Jake. Jake tries to leap over a pool of tar-like fluid, He makes the leap, but when Narek attempts it, he does not, and he falls in and injures himself. Instead of watching his enemy die, Jake pulls the disguised Romulan out and helps him return back to his camp. Narek is impressed with the boy and sees why his father called these humans honorable. Later, the space battle has reached a standstill because the Defiant was able to somehow disable the much larger ship. Sisko orders a scan on the shuttle so that they will know what was being sold to the Maquis. But the shuttle is suddenly destroyed by the Romulans. Sisko orders them to get closer to the planet, and he beams down with Odo, Worf, and Bashir. They quickly find Kira, Miles, and Keiko. Jake is still missing. Soon, he arrives with the injured Novik in tow. While Sisko is hugging his son... Navik rushes away with a sudden burst of newfound strength. Later, Tomalik is aboard the ship in orbit of this planet. They're scanning for Narek, and they finally find him. He orders him to beam aboard the warship. This father and son reunion is not nearly as warm as the previous one. Later, the Defiant has made its way back to Deep Space Nine. Jake is being praised for his bravery and his compassion. Kira is not happy about the Romulans getting away, but Sisko tells her that they need to savor even the small victories. Next issue, Luxana Troy returns. Yay! Major Albert coming back. 
Yes, well, boy, this was a twisting, turning issue. How could it have ever resolved? I'm surprised. I feel a little sarcasm there. Yes. (laughs) Okay, so can I start with a list of... Well, let me just start out with, with some of the opening pages. When the two ships, the Maquis ship and the supposed, quote, traitor ship right come face to face i'm looking at that quote trader ship and it's green and the wings on it kind of look like bird wings and gosh that looks a lot like a romulan craft to me it looks cool by the way but you know what i didn't even realize that they weren't calling it a uh, romulan ship so they just call it a trader ship they bothered Modifying their appearance, right? And they were secretive on the planet that they oh, right. weren't Romulans. So it's like, aren't they still trying to go with that facade? And they come up <laughs> in a small, very Romulan-looking ship. I don't know. I mean, it looks right. cool, but that doesn't make much sense to me. Yeah. And, I mean, it, yeah, good point. I didn't even catch that. Yeah, well. I mean, it definitely looks like a, it looks like a, like a Taz-era type. Paws? Well, I mean the way the 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 way the front is kind of looks like the back of those old Taz ships of uh, the Romulan ships. Yeah. It reminds me of the feather look that. Uh, that they right, had. right. Yeah. So anyway, I just thought that was kind of weird. Right. So you have more more things wrong than just that? Oh, I do. May I? Please. And we alluded to it a little bit in the previous issues commentary, and you made it very clear in your synapses. Okay, so last issue, they were imprisoned in a bamboo cage, with no technology probably involved in keeping them in it, other than, you know, mechanical lock or something. And then in this issue, they appear to be in a building, mucking with some kind of door something or other, and that's how they got out. So how did they transition from one prison to another? I don't know. I mean, there there is the establishing shot of the surface of Moyer 4. It does show some sort of compound of some sort. I mean, it, the, the front of it kind of looks like, you know, the Aquaman A uh, logo. But where this building came from, I have no idea. Exactly. There was no building last time. <laughs> I mean... Wasn't it just supposed to be an uninhabited place? They, they, right. they, you know, the two ships came to meet each other with with the Maquis and the the trader guys. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Strange. Yeah, and, it threw me at first too. And what's the purpose of having a building except for O'Brien to have the ability to, explode you know, it. to explode it using his technological wizardry? Because how else were they going to get out of there? By the way, but whatever. Uh, Keiko could have had a small file hidden away in her hair, and she could have uh, worked on the bamboo until they got out. Maybe, maybe. Now that would have been a, a helpful thing of the former freedom fighter. Yeah. So I'm just wondering. No, I said Keiko, not Kira. Oh, Keiko. Sorry. Well, at least she could have done something. Keiko, that's good. Yeah, she didn't have but much no, to it, do. That didn't happen. On this issue. Yeah, the only time. The only time she said anything is when they were talking about how dangerous it was going to be to make it the jailbreak. And she says, well, we can't die here. Think of the children. That was about all she did. Uh, she did also scream, Miles, no, leave him alone. You're oh, hurt. He's, he's injured. Hurt, but he's hurt. W- yeah, what was yeah. he talking about? Who's hurt? I, I can only assume he was hurt from the first skirmish. Okay. When he got hit in the back of the head with the gun? Right. Right. Okay. Yeah, I was confused there. Yeah. Because they didn't establish he was hurt, I don't think. But. Yeah, it seemed, seemed pretty okay. Yeah. Oh, but you know what? When it shows them making their way through the, the swamp or whatever, it does look like he's leaning on Keiko. Right. So, okay. So, again, even more so, O'Brien is not a wise person. Right. But Jumping we do get no- to see Kira doing some more butt-kicking, which I know you like to see. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's see. Come on. Let's see her do something. All right. Because I I hate the idea of it being like a sexist thing. Oh, Miles is the only one that can be aggressive in fighting because he's the guy. Right. And actually, she is... At at first, I was thinking, Kira's even more 
a fighter than Miles is. However, Miles was involved in the Cardassian War, right? So he was right. obviously a frontline fighter. So he's quite used to uh, the rigors of war. Right. Right. And he's a, you know, he's a. What is he? He's from Ireland. He's an Irishman. Yeah. That's right. So so, they, uh, aren't they fighters? Yeah, they're fighters, but usually when they're drunk. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to say that part. <laughs> well, if I mean, I'm part Irish, so. Uh, I'm, oh, so I'm, I'm just I'm just saying the stereotype. That's all I'm saying. Right. No, I know. Okay. All right. So keep going with your list of things wrong with this issue. I, I'm pretty much done. I mean, I'm sure there are other things, but. Oh, that was it. Uh, I, I will say this. Why did they waste a page recapping a previous issue? Yeah, they've never done it before. Uh, it, it, and sure, it's like the TV show, but it's like this is a comic. If people want to recap, you know, they'll they'll go and grab the issue from last month and and look at it again. I thought it was very odd. Right. Well, uh, starting this month, all of the Marvel stuff started doing that. Uh, oh, did they? A recap page, mm. and they also added the the page where it shows kind of like a a cast of type thing, where it, you know, I didn't obviously synopsis, but. Oh yeah, right! Yeah. It says you know who who Captain Cisco is, who Major yeah. Akira is, and things like that. So yeah. even has Odo and Quark on there, who don't appear at all in this story. Yeah. No, Odo does, but Quark does not. Yeah, he doesn't do much, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah, both pages are a waste. Right. Well, get used but, to it. Yeah. And how about the artwork, especially that first picture where it shows O'Brien and Keiko and Major Kira and Jake getting ready to depart? Right. Um, it, it's so. It looks horrible. It does. I was really worried about the whole issue. I had I right. actually thumbed through the issue just to make sure that the whole thing wasn't going to be like this. Yeah, it's very it's very simple, and just just very low. I mean, that might be a writing. I mean, that might be a drawing style that some people might like, but I don't. It looks yeah. very cartoonish, very childish, really, but whatever. wouldn't say childish, but definitely cartoonish. Well, yeah. Now, now, mind you, when you get into the issue, there's some really good <clears throat> close-ups of Cisco. They seem to be all over the place, by the way, and some other characters. Though That's pretty good artwork, I think. And, of course, the ships all look really good. Ships look good. Yeah. In fact, my biggest complaint on this issue is we start a giant war between... You know, a much larger Romulan vessel and the and the Defiant. Yeah. And we get this one page, which just shows every ship, all four ships firing at each other. Right. And so you're like, oh, this is going to be good. And then the next time we go back out to space, it's already over, and somehow the Defiant has disabled the Romulan craft, even though the Romulans still have disruptors because they blow up the shuttle. But it it's completely off screen. And that, yeah. to me, was the best part of the, you know, that that page was just, wow, this is awesome. <laughs> right. Yeah, and supposedly the sharpshooting ability of Commander Worf. So, okay, great. Don't buy it. Yeah. Now, of course, we all do remember that supposedly the Defiant has the firepower of, like, a galaxy-class ship. Right. So, which I always thought was really cool about it. Right, with their quantum torpedoes and stuff like that. And stuff like that there. Nope, I, lo- I love the Defiant. Yeah. And in fact, there's a nice shot of it early-ish in the comic where it shows an under... It, it's, it goes over two pages, and it shows the underbelly of the Defiant. I thought that was pretty good. Nice, some nice detail. Right. Yeah, there was a lot of two-page spreads in this issue. Yeah. Which makes it a little inconvenient when you're reading it on a on a tablet because you have to scroll over, scroll, ah, over, scroll over, scroll over. Mister Mister High Tech. <laughs> okay, so what? Why exactly would Cisco tell everybody to stay back at the Romulan building? This is towards the end when they're on the planet and trying to find everybody. So they find everybody else except for Jake, and <laughs> then they have to find Jake. And the already proven murderous Narak was after him. So right. why did you tell everybody else to stay back at the building while you go and find him? No. T- take everybody who's able-bodied and form a search party. Anyway. Yeah, good point. No, it but, did not make sense. Yeah, but he did have a, a tricorder, so he was following the life signs. But still, take another guy. Come on. What the heck? <laughs> yeah, take Worf with you. 
At the very least, scuffle. I mean, even though Worf is not Worf is not security chief again, right? No. 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 Uh, but even that, come on. I mean, Worf is very cued into the idea of protecting the captain. So I don't know. And what did you think of the phaser that Cisco had when he finds Jake? It doesn't oh. look like a standard Federation one. Oh, let me let me take a look. I don't remember that. Um, if you're using the PDF, it's on page 16. Well, yeah, I think that's just bad drawing on that particular panel. Okay, so you think it's just the standard Federation phaser? Yeah, I think it's the standard one. Okay. But you will remember as the as they continued on through the different series on TV, Next Gen and Deep Space Nine, etc. And then even when they got into the um, the movies, the hand phaser went from being more of a straight handle into more of a curved handle. Ulti- and, and the emitter parts continued to get smaller until finally in Nemesis, they called it the dolphin phaser. It's, it's very sleek and very curved, and the emitter part on the top is pretty small. Okay. I but I but that I guess I didn't pay that much attention. Yeah. Uh, but I agree with you. That that takes the, the dolphin look and makes it even more extreme, and I don't think it was a very accurate drawing. Okay. So, agreed. Not a good drawing. But he he probably does not have a different kind of phaser for that time period. All right, and then uh, that was my last comment, except for I like that the story has Kira, O'Brien, and Keiko kind of in the forefront and together because, you know, they, they have that, you know, not necessarily a family dynamic, but kind of since Kira did carry their baby for a season. So I always liked it when the three of them had scenes together because it was like what's well, kind of like having you know not necessarily a, a relative but a, you know someone very close to your family because they carried your baby mm-hmm. so I don't know I, it just always makes me think of it when, when these three have scenes together oh that's nice <laughs> that's so nice Donovan it's a family dynamic exactly and then Jake's just there to to tag along yeah because he just he's just another crazy wacky kid that keeps on saying things at the wrong time <laughs> yeah it is all kind of his fault <laughs> well my dad will beat up your dad Ooh, whoops <coughs> oh I, I just put my foot in my mouth again well alright okay. what else do you have let's see uh, I, I kind of liked seeing a cloaked federation ship up against a cloaked Romulan ship that's kind of cool and that doesn't happen very often uh, in fact, I can't think of a time off the top of my head it happened prior to this issue, although I'm sure it probably did. But uh, I, I was kind of wondering how that was going to all play out. Right. The only Federation ship that had a regular, regularly stocked with a cloaking device was the Defiant. True. That I recall. So did the Defiant in during Deep Space Nine come up in other situations where they did the cloaking device thing against another cloak ship? I'm sure they probably did, but I don't recall. Um, I don't know. I'm sure they did, but I don't know. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. I was kind of wondering how that was going to work. But then, of course... So didn't they realize that if they, they tried to do an, uh, an... What was it? An anti-neutrino scan? That the... That the Romulans were going to pick that up? That wasn't very smart. No, it was not smart. Yeah. So is it because the Romulans have had cloaking technology longer than the Federation that they knew they wouldn't do some bonehead move like that? Yeah, we'll go with that, Ken. Because <laughs> <laughs> it seems like it's like, wow, that's not a good idea. Was it was it Cisco that ordered for that? I think he did. Yeah. Bad call, old man. Anyway, and um, that's it. That's all I have to say about this one. Yeah. All right. Well then. Uh... I guess we'll let everybody go. It's Fourth of July weekend, supposedly. Uh, if if you're listening to this when we first release it, so we'll hope everybody has a good holiday. Right. Yes. Happy Independence Day, everybody. And I'll for have you, to... not in the United States. Oh, oh, our Happy many, our, Fourth our, of July. our many international listeners. <laughs> we don't know. <laughs> well, I know it's possible. I just doubt it. 
Okay, great. All right. So, thanks for joining us. Oh, uh, next week, Voyager 10 through 12. Ooh, sounds good. Okay, take care. Later, everybody. Thanks for joining us on The Review. Thank you for listening to Star Trek Comic Book Review. All Star Trek stories and characters are copyrighted CBS Studios Incorporated. All music, stories, and characters discussed are for entertainment purposes only. You can email us at startcomicbookreview at gmail.com. Visit us at our website, www.stcomicbookreview.com. Subscribe to us via iTunes. Or friend us on Facebook at first name, ST Comic, second name, Book Review. See you next time on Star Trek Comic Book Review. Let's get the hell out of here.